It always amazes me as a, as a series comes to an end, especially the ten-parters. It was just yesterday, it seems, when this series was somewhere in the offing and I wondered where it would take us. It all started with an article by a freelance writer named Chara Donahue on ten passages of Scripture never preached on, perhaps even avoided by pastors because they're so unusual, so bizarre, that they become stones better left unturned in the mind of most preachers. Now, today, it all culminates with part 10. The fight for Moses' body. Jude is where we find our unpreached text today. You can turn there. The book of Jude is one of five one-chapter books in the Bible. Obadiah is a minor prophet. He's one. Philemon, a letter from Paul in the New Testament. Second and third John uh, being the the others. Uh, Jude is the second to the last book of the Bible. So if you're flipping around your Bible trying to find it, second to the last book of the Bible, tucked neatly into a tiny gap between third John and the book of Revelation. This short letter book of Jude, includes a casual mention of the archangel Michael arguing with Satan over the body of Moses. That's in verse 9. And one of the reasons I would say that this is unpreached is we know nothing outside of this one verse. It gives us virtually no context. There's no cross-reference. There's no parallel passages that help to tell the story. We're simply left with one verse and a lot of questions. Verse 9, the book of Jude says this, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuked thee. Now there are some theories on the phrase, the body of Moses. Some understand it to be the literal, physical corpse of the great Hebrew leader. Others say it's a reference to the Jewish faith itself, whose destruction the devil strove and contended for. Those things may be true, but I believe there's a broader context here as well. So allow me to back up to verse 7, read all the way through verse 13, and as we read through this, I'll ask that you follow along in your Bible. If you have it there, there's probably a Bible on the, on the seat in front of you underneath it. Uh, follow along on your phones, your whatever app you have, Bible app. But uh, as I read through these verses, I want you to pick up on the recurring theme found here. Begins in verse 7, says, Even as Sodom and Gomorrah, what were Sodom and Gomorrah famous for? Think about that. And the cities about them in like manner, giving themselves over to fornication, going after strange flesh, the Bible says, are set forth as an example, suffering the vengeance of eternal life. Likewise, also these filthy dreamers defile the flesh, despise dominion, and speak evil of dignities. Verse 9, Yet Michael the archangel, when contending with the devil, 
he disputed about the body of Moses, durst not bring against him a railing accusation, but said, The Lord rebuke thee. But these speak evil of those things which they know not, but what they know naturally as brute beasts, in those things they corrupt themselves. Verse 11, Woe unto them, for they have gone the way of Cain. They've ran greedily after the error of Balaam for reward and perished in the gainsaying of Korah, who we ironically talked about in part one of this series. It all comes full circle. Verse 12. These are spots in your feasts of charity when they feast with you, feeding themselves without fear. Clouds they are without water, carried about as winds, trees whose fruit withers, without fruit, twice dead, plucked up by the roots, raging waves of the sea, hear this church, foaming out their own shame, wandering stars to whom is reserved the blackness of darkness forever. As we read about the struggle for the body of Moses, it's interesting to me that we're witnessing a battle for the body in modern culture. It's manifesting itself in several stages. Some are as old as time itself. Others relatively new to the scene. When you die, there may not be a fight over your body, but there will be a fight for your soul. That's the ultimate prize for both God and the devil. You've heard the expression, the way to a man's heart is through his stomach? Well, perhaps the way to a person's soul is through their body. Hence, the battle for our body. Our body is the part of our threefold nature that corresponds with the world. And according to 2 Corinthians 4.4, Satan is the God of this world. So think about this. Our body is constantly interacting and corresponding with the realm of the universe under the dominion of Satan. The soul is our personhood. The body is part of our being. It's more than a shell. Sometimes we reduce it to just a shell. The body's more than a shell, but it's not our personhood. For example, if you lose an arm, you're not less of you. Your body is not who you are. Your soul is who you are. It has been said, you do not see with your eyes, you see through your eyes. But the body is a battleground. It's the place where our passions and our desires and our appetites manifest themselves. The soul, the soul is often won or lost in the realm of the body. The devil contended over the body of Moses and he's fighting for your body too. That's why 1 John 2, 15 and 16 tells us, Love not the world, neither the things that are in the world. If any man loves the world, the love of the Father is not in him. For all that is in the world, the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, and the pride of life is not of the Father. It's of 
the world. God is reminding us not to love the world, but appetites and desires are a powerful motivator, and the devil gets it. And while God is patient, I would submit to you this morning that the devil is patient too. And patiently and methodically over the decades, the devil has moved us as a society. First, the Bible has been virtually eradicated from education, from the public sector, from home, and even to some degree, from the church. It's been a a slow and insidious plan to neutralize faith, and it's worked. Second, we've lost the concept of objective truth. I can't tell you how many times people say to me, well, that's, that's truth for you. We talked recently in a sermon about the celebrity who exhorted people to proclaim their truth. Modern philosophy encourages us to create our own beliefs, our own morality, our own truth. And the loss of objective truth for a society is a major player in the battle for our bodies, which is ultimately a battle for our souls. It all plays into the controversy over same-sex marriage and now transgender issues. Michael and the devil contended over the body of Moses and there's a battle raging over our bodies today. And as I begin to get into this, let, let me remind you of something. Hear me, church, and I need you to invest in, in this with me this morning. You've got to connect the dots with me. You've got to follow along. And, and, and I need you to hear this kind of beginning premise. As Michael the archangel battled with Satan over the body of Moses, Jude tells us he durst not bring against him a railing accusation. A, par- a paraphrase of that passage says it this way. Yet Michael, one of the mightiest of the angels, when he was arguing with Satan about Moses' body, did not dare to accuse even Satan or jeer at him. As the fight over our bodies has drifted into the issues of sexual preference and gender issues, we must remember it's about more than an issue. This is about people. Michael would not rail against Satan. We should not be railing against lost people either. This is nothing for us to jeer at. These are people. We need to move in truth, yes, but also love and compassion. Ephesians 4.15 says, speak the truth in love. The, The church, the church often bellows out truth, don't we? But truth without love is mean-spirited and cruel. Love without truth, on the other hand, is weak and sloppy. So we do what the Word of God says. We speak the truth in love. Think of it this way. Truth and love 
represent the two banks of a river. And without either bank, you've got a swamp. Transgender issues exemplify for us the battle over the body. Gender dysphoria is defined as a, as a marked incongruence between one's expressed gender and their assigned gender for a period of at least six months. In other words, it's a prolonged sense of disharmony within a person caused by a difference in their birth gender and what they feel like on the inside. The chromosomes and the anatomy say one thing, but the person's inner feelings and desires say something else. So, a world uninfluenced by the Word of God, a world void of objective truth and driven by feelings, says you are what you feel like you, you are. And this has opened the door to chaos. We no longer have Boy Scouts, just Scouts. We're no longer sure what to expect when we go into a public restroom. A woman was sent to the hospital recently after having her skull fractured in a martial arts match, receiving a concussion and seven surgical staples to bind her wounds, inflicted by Fallon Fox, a biological male identifying as female and fighting in the women's division. The battered woman, a trained MMA fighter herself, said, I have never felt so overpowered in my life. A few years ago, Fallon Fox would have gone to jail for hitting a woman. Today, he's the winner of the women's division. It's all part of the fight for Moses' body. And through it, the devil is contending for our souls. And yet we need to try and understand the torment a person suffering from gender dysphoria is going through. You guys are really quiet today, I'll tell you that. I would be too if I was sitting where you were. Facebook, ever on the cutting edge of such issues, tried expanding the gender choices beyond male and female to accommodate everyone's feelings. They came up with well over 50 variants before even Facebook couldn't keep up and had to abandon the idea. They had everything from intersex non-binary, two-spirit, gender-variant, gender-queer, gender-non-conforming, gender-fluid, pan-gender, transgender, bi-gender, agender, trans-masculine, and trans-feminine. And on and on the list goes. Now Facebook simply allows you to customize your own gender description. Anything goes in the eyes of a Progressive society so far removed from the Bible, which tells us repeatedly they were created male and female. What's happened since then has resulted in a battle for our bodies. Now there are movements afoot to ban gender identity. Some parents are letting their children, children, mind you, choose their own gender. And here's where truth takes a pounding. 
Modern philosophy encourages us to create our own beliefs, create our own morality, create our own truth. In reality, you cannot choose your own gender. There are certain specific genetic markers that define you as male or female. God created them, Scripture says, male and female. There's no agender or non-binary or two-spirit or gender variant or gender fluid. There's no pangender or transgender or bigender. Those aren't options. Male and female and the genetic markers tell the story. According to a group of American pediatricians, normalizing gender dysphoria, which is what we see happening now, we're normalizing gender dysphoria. But this group of American pediatricians says that's dangerous and unethical. Here's their quote. Young children are being permanently sterilized and surgically maimed, all in the name of treating a condition that would otherwise resolve in 80% of the cases. This is criminal. Close quote. The prevailing thought today is you are not born male or female, you are whatever gender you say you are. Genesis 5.2, however, says male and female created he them and blessed them. You see, the truth is not what you want it to be, and the truth is not what what it feels like to you. Truth is the relationship between what you believe and reality. I'm not rich just because I identify as rich. I'm not young just because I feel young. Truth corresponds with reality. But with the abandonment of truth, we've allowed feelings to rule. It's all subjective now. There's no right, there's no wrong. Only what's right for you. In the end of such Foolishness is too obvious to state. But in the realm of gender, anything goes. And the devil disputes over our bodies. It's devolved to the place where when someone has gender dysphoria, we treat the body. Now follow me, okay? Here's where I need you to kind of perk up. I understand. I've sat where you sat. I understand there's periods where you kind of you know, drift into some sort of a malaise. Uh, come out of that now and, and, and make this connection with me. It's devolved to the place where when someone has gender dysphoria, we treat the body. In other words, if someone is born male but feels like a female, society and even the medical community will now treat the body as if the body is mistaken. It may involve hormone therapy, surgery, or any of a number of other procedures that attempt to turn the male body into a female body. Again, all in defiance of what reality says. Now let me give you an example that may bring this into focus. If someone is bulimic or anorexic, they're identifying as overweight or perhaps even obese. 
They may weigh 90 pounds. They may be totally emaciated with their ribs protruding. But they identify as overweight. They see themselves as obese. Do we treat the body or the mind? If we follow the same pattern we do now with gender dysphoria, we would offer weight loss programs, diets, diet pills, liposuction, and other body alterations that conform to what the mind is telling them. That's absurd, isn't it? It would be criminal to treat persons, uh, the person's body when the mind is the issue. But society refuses to acknowledge this in the area of gender dysphoria. So now we have an instance of a man, and you're going to think I'm joking, we have an instance of a man who identifies as a cat. He's trans species. It's no joke. Do we treat the body or the mind? Others are identifying as a different age, and they're laying claim to the benefits that come with the age they identify as. So if I'm young, younger, I identify as older, then I want cheap coffee at McDonald's. And this is another true case. There's a man that's in his 60s identifying as a 49-year-old so that he can slip into a different category on the online dating services. Do we treat the body or the mind? There's a battle being waged over our bodies. And we're vulnerable because as a society, our biblical foundation has been washed away. And the soul is often won or lost in the realm of the body. Let's read together. Well, let's read Romans 1. You don't have to read it out loud. That sounded for a minute like I wanted you to read it out loud with me. I don't. Now, I have it all up on one screen. It's a lot on one screen, but I wanted you to see it all at once and be able to see the the highlighted phrases, although we can't see the highlighted phrases anyway. But um, verse 21 of Romans chapter 1 says, Because that when they knew God, they glorified Him not as God, neither were they thankful, but they became vain in their imagination." And their foolish heart was darkened. Professing themselves to be wise, they became fools. Changed the glory of the uncorruptible God into an image made like corruptible man, and to birds and four-footed beasts and creeping things. Wherefore God also gave them up to uncleanness through the lusts of their own hearts to dishonor their own bodies between themselves, who changed the truth of God into a lie, who changed the truth of God into a lie and worshipped and served the creature more than the Creator who is blessed forever and ever and ever and ever and ever. Amen. For this cause, God gave them up to vile affections. For even their women did change the natural use of that which is against nature, And likewise, also the men, leaving the natural use of the woman, burned in their lust one toward another, men with men, working that which is unseemly, and receiving in themselves that recompense of their error, 
which was meet or suitable or appropriate. The passage describes where we are as a society in, in any number of areas. Verse 21 says they became vain in their imaginations. Our imaginations rule the roost now. Reality is relative. You are what you imagine you are. We've abandoned truth. Professing themselves to be wise, verse 22 says they became fools. The universities have taken, taken on the task of indoctrinating our young people. And sadly, we keep sending them off to the indoctrination center. An image, verse 23 says, made like corruptible man. Feelings, rule, values, and principles in the eyes of the world are now obsolete. Our God is pleasure. Verse 25, change the truth of God into a lie. Some versions say they exchange the truth of God for a lie. Like Esau, who exchanged his birthright for a bowl of beans. Second part of that verse, worshipped and served the creature. See, we worship creation now, not the creator. We're idolaters of the highest sort. God has tried to reach people in a variety of ways, hasn't he? And at some point, at some point the Bible teaches, this is a Bible principle stated in numerous places, that God gives them over to what they want. A reprobate mind, it calls it in Romans. In the hope that they, it's not judgment, it's in the hope that they figure it out and like the prodigal son, eventually return home. And so the passage continues, verse 26. God gave them up unto their vile affections. Remember this, that just because you get what you want doesn't mean you're in God's will. Verse 27, receiving in themselves the recompense of their error, which was suitable. Gender dysphoric people tend to have numerous issues. They battle high rates of depression, anxiety. The suicide rate of, of gender dysphoric people is a stunning 40%. You see, it's not really a fight over your body. It's a battle over your soul. And for a person with gender dysphoria or same-sex desires or any related gender confusion issue who becomes a Christian, there is no guarantee, church, that the issue will resolve itself. The good news of the gospel is we do not have to be enslaved by our desires. Instead, and I know this is going to get lost in the shuffle here. This may be the most important statement of the sermon. The good news of the gospel is this. We do not have to be enslaved by our desires. Instead, our origin and our destiny in Christ can determine how we live now. And it's not just people with gender issues. The principle holds true for all of us. For example, a single Christian cannot act on their heterosexual desires either. 
They are to remain sexually pure until marriage. And we expect married Christians to resist attraction to other people and remain faithful to their spouse. Desires, hear me now, church, desires don't have to rule over us. There's a struggle over our bodies, but our values and principles are what determine our actions, not our feelings or our appetites. Let me say that again. Our values and principles are what determine our actions, not our feelings and appetites. We are to die to self, the Bible says. We are to die daily, the great apostle Paul says. Now hear me. and Follow along as I read Colossians 3, verses 1 through 6. It says, if ye then be risen with Christ, if, biggest, the longest word in the Bible, the biggest word in the Bible is the word if. If you then are risen with Christ. In other words, if you're a believer, if you're a born again Christian, if you are risen with Christ, then seek those things which are above where Christ sits at the right hand of God. Set your affections on things above. Set your desires, set your appetite, set your affection on things above, not on the things of the earth. For you are dead and your life is hidden with Christ in God. When Christ, who is our life, shall appear, then shall you also appear with Him in glory. Mortify, crucify, kill, therefore, your members, your body, your body parts, which are upon the earth, fornication, uncleanness, inordinate affection, evil concupiscence, which is a fancy way of saying evil desires, and covetousness, which is idolatry, for which things sake the wrath of God comes upon the children of disobedience. Listen, if a kleptomaniac steals... It's still wrong. He may need help. We should have compassion. It may be a disorder of some kind, but the behavior is still wrong. We don't justify the behavior based on the desire. We don't justify the behavior based on the desire. We don't justify the behavior based on the desire. Should have done it in green. Matt, you did a great job preaching last week. Man, you did a great job. We mortify the flesh. We crucify the flesh. We do not let feelings drive the train. We live by values and principles which determine our actions and behaviors. It's a, it's a difficult issue for the church. It's a difficult issue for society. We live in a changing world, a politically correct world. Feelings rule. If it, if it feels good, the world says, do it. And the battle manifests itself in the realm of our appetites and desires, in the realm of our body. 
But it's not really a fight over your body. Ultimately, it's a battle for your soul. Our passage in Jude, verses 7 through 13 there, could have been written yesterday. There's there's nothing new under the sun, the Bible says. It says, even as Sodom and Gomorrah, we know what they're famous for, going after strange flesh, it says, filthy dreamers corrupting themselves with what they know naturally, like brute beasts, it says, foaming out their own shame, for whom is reserved the blackness of dark forever. You know, my heart goes out to those that are afflicted with gender dysphoria and same-sex desires. It's really easy for the church to be right here and forget to be compassionate. But for those afflicted with gender dysphoria, those who battle same-sex desires, there's hope found in those who have lived in victory despite same-sex desires and other gender confusion issues. I just read a book by a man who battles these issues and desires but chooses instead to live according to the Word of God. There's hope and victory in the Word of God. Let me encourage on our part, the church, let me encourage love and compassion. We can love people without condoning sin. We're all sinners, after all. Let's be sure to speak the truth in love. Two banks to the river. We don't compromise truth. But we speak the truth in love. And I think sometimes it's the church that needs to repent. Sometimes we're right to a fault. The Bible there says that Michael wouldn't accuse Satan. He wouldn't jeer at Satan. I wonder if we've been guilty of jeering at those who are lost in their sin. And I don't think God looks at that too favorably. He says, yeah, yeah, you're right. You're right. I think he says, you're not a very good example of me. You're not being winsome in any way. You're right to a fault. You're pushing them farther away than they've ever been before. Instead of living with love and compassion and praying for them, reaching out to them and loving them in spite of their sin, we we reach out and we love people if they have a different sin. Lord, I pray you'd forgive us. We're so right sometimes. We're so righteous sometimes. Put ourselves up on some pedestal that makes us better in our mind than other people. You don't see it that way at all. So Lord, I pray that you forgive us. 
how are we ever going to win a lost world if all we can do is see ourselves as right and not see them as lost? Lord, I know how lost I was. That wasn't my sin, but I was every bit as lost. Someone loved me. Someone prayed for me. Someone reached out to me. Someone invited me. Someone cared about me. Someone invested in me. I wonder how many that struggle in the area of same-sex attractions, gender dysphoric issues. What if we prayed for them? What if we invited them? What if we reached out to them? What if we invested in them? What if we loved them? I wonder how many could be one. Lord, for the one that's here today, and I don't know what what their sin is, but whatever it is, it, it builds a wall between us and you. It's just kind of a real principle that we we avoid those we disappoint. We distance ourselves from those we disappoint. And if we think we've disappointed you, then we distance ourselves. For whatever reason, they find themselves here today. I pray, Lord, that they would repent of their sins. I pray, Lord, that they would choose to live for you. They might be born again. Lord, for the rest of us that are stuck in our own pride and our own self-righteousness, Lord, I pray that you would do a work in us, that you would peel back the layers, that we might become the men and the women of God that you've called us to be, that we might be winsome to a lost world. And I pray that this morning in Jesus' name. Amen. I just want to invite you to stand.